Nighttime on Still Waters. This is NB506812, narrow casting into the night from somewhere on Britain's waterways. Sixth of August, Saturday. The sun is three fingers above the horizon and washes the bankside reeds with golden fire. Three ducks cast perfect wakes of V's, slowly swimming the channel of molten bronze. There's something ethereal about this light, like stepping from one world into another. The sun has always been an alchemist at heart. The gentle sun-dried breeze has dropped, and the five tall poplars, like slim green tongues of flame, are inked black against the night sky, flung with a careless glitter of stars. A coolness is rising from the canal, as subtle breezes lift and flow just above the mirrored surface of the sun-warmed waters. This is the narrowboat Erica, narrow casting in the stillness of a summer's night into the dark canal side. There's always a warm welcome for you here. So come aboard. Leave your cares on the bankside. There's time enough for them at other times. I'm so pleased you came, so let's enjoy this summer night together for a while. Welcome aboard. My week started with something of a bang. On Monday, and it was purely through my own carelessness, I got stung by a wasp twice in the mouth. I was too busy thinking about something else and took a swig of a drink and promptly got stung on my tongue and my lip. It's okay, the wasp's fine, and I managed to take her out and put her outside on one of the willow herbs there, and she could dry in the sun. And she was soon up and about again. However, it did mean that all week my mouth, and particularly my tongue, had that strange feeling about it, like you have just regained sensation after being anaesthetised at the dentist. And four or five days later, today, it's really the first day that my tongue feels totally back to normal. However, we are also now officially on holiday and taking things a bit slower. We both have a massive pile of books to read, and it will be nice just to let my mind freewheel for a while. And tonight, the bank opposite us is edged with a thick hedge of reeds and tall grass, studded emerald and azure with dragonfly jewels and busied by more hens. The rowan is aflame with scarlet berries, and the beetle-black elderberries are showing, as deep and as fathomless as the eyes of mice. Five tall Lombardy poplars shimmy with tremulous silvers as the warm summer winds play through them. Later, in the last of today's light, we watch a group of nocturnal bats buzz and click as they aerobatically cut and weave around their tops. 
and between the poplars a couple of silver birches stand. There's something wholly sublime about the play of light you get through silver birch leaves. A shimmering, airy kind of light. It can entrance me. I can remember standing for ages in the park watching it. With the morning light, they shine translucent and watery, like weightless beads of green glass. After Mum died, I found out that it was one of her favourite sights too. Just around the corner from us, a heron, lithe in his motionless, stands ankles deep beside the bank. His head does not move, but you can feel his eyes boring into your soul. Judging by the constant flashes of disturbed water and the tell-tale pulses of rings, he's picked a good spot. And across the fields, head raised just above the shock of sedgy grass, I spy another heron. He bobs and struts, chin-deep amongst the grasses. The herons will kick up a fuss later, when the sun sets, and they return barking like dogs to their swaying, stickle-stacked, twig-crossed crow's nests of their homes. In the hedge on the towpath side, Donna earlier spotted a wren, almost a paradoxical sort of bird. On the one hand, so dumpy and feisty, loud-voiced and pugnacious, and on the other, so exquisitely dainty, fleet of foot, tiny. The old farthings used to bear their image. It was a good choice. This one seemed totally unconcerned by our proximity and carried on the hourly duties of feather preening and beak scraping. The local mallards have come to visit us almost as soon as we tied up, and they've been here a couple of times now. And they were accompanied by a young swan. Perhaps it's Cyril. The signet born to our two swans last year and who left in February or March time. The beak was still dull, not blue, but blue enough to mute the bright yellow-orange that it will become. And the plumage is also nearly white, yet not just quite white. It's certainly not grey or brown, but there are hints of brown. Dun brown memories, like grubby white tea towels that defy the laundry's detergents. It could be Cyril. We say hello and put out some swan food. And now a lone female duck tracks up the canal as the day's heat cools. A solitary figure, determinedly ploughing a V-wake on the flat-iron surface of the water. She turns at the bend in the canal, circles, and then ploughs her singular furrow back past us again. She paddles over to the boat, looks in, waits for a few moments, and then paddles on. And a few patchwork fields away, harvesting is underway. 
and the westering sun shines golden and slantwise through the ash and her thick girdle of ivy. And the bleating of sheep punctuates the sleepy dusk. Earlier, just after lunch, someone was knocking on the boat side. Three or four minutes up the towpath in one of the abutting fields, a ewe was in distress and difficulties. And two walkers with their dog had spotted her alone in the field, trying to get up, but then collapsing back down. The woman's partner had climbed through into the field and found that the ewe's hind legs were totally bound in nylon twine and what turned out to be electric fence wire. Unable to locate the farmer, the woman wanted to know if we had any scissors to cut what she thought was string. I went back with her to see if I could help. She was a young ewe, bless her, and almost pinned to the ground, and must have been in great pain and distress. The twine and the wires had formed this huge matted ball that was so tight that they were cutting deep into both of her hind legs and were as around one of her hoofs. The skin had been rubbed sore and was attracting swarms of large blowflies. It took me over half an hour to slowly cut through that tangled mass, sometimes having to dig quite deeply into her flesh. But from time to time she just nuzzled at my hand, like Penny used to, and the man gently stroking her. And finally the last of the wire was cut free, but her feet had been horribly swollen and raw. She had drunk a litre of water from the couple's water bottle and slowly raised herself to her feet, unsteady as a newborn pony that started to graze, giving a little bleat as we left her to get some more water. I know there's very little chance of the couple ever hearing this, but if anyone listening knows of a Sean sorry, I didn't get your partner's name, and their dog, who's a two-year-old golden Labrador rescue called Bella, who was once an Albanian, I think, street dog. Please let them know that I managed to contact one of the farmers. And although the ewe wasn't actually hers, and she wasn't too sure whose it belonged to, she did know a lot of contacts, and your getting that ewe's ear tag number was genius and it will help a lot. I went back to that field with some more water, but the ewe wasn't anywhere to be seen. And the farmer that I talked to thought that the field that she was in was actually a lot bigger than we thought it was, and probably she'd gone round to join the rest of the flock. However, she did agree that a vet was really needed to, to have a look at it. And thanks you for your vigilance. And so do I. It's people like you, Sean, and your partner who make this world a safer and a better and a richer place. Thank you for your observation and for your care. As ever, it's always good to hear from you. And thank you to Barry Woodhouse. And I'm really pleased that you find the podcasts helpful. And hello also to new, or fairly new listener, Laura, who also got in contact with me via the noswpod.com contact form. Laura came across the podcast while looking up something about the shipping forecast, and 
I'm so pleased that happy accidents like this occur and thank you for contacting me. A longer term listener, Lee Thomas, got back in touch and she's been filling me in on her researches into the age of her mountain cabin where she lives in Colorado. And Lee, I do hope you can make it to the UK in September and have a great time on the canals here. Laurie, another long-term listener, also contacted me this week, and I can't tell you, Laurie, how much your words meant to me. I read your email towards the end of a very trying and stressful day, and your words did mean and touch me so much, so thank you. And I love little Bodie. He looks a wonderful dog, and I have this feeling that Kira would wholeheartedly approve of him. And thank you also to Margaret, who's also been in touch and sharing her thoughts on two of the episodes, Let the Stars Sing Out Your Stories and Down by the Cattle Pond. And sorry about the confusion of Cyril, and I'm glad that you're all caught up with the news now. Hello also, and thank you to Rosario and Sue and Elaine over on Facebook. And also again to Helen Bygrove for your continued support each week in the way in which you share the link. It's really appreciated. As I mentioned a little earlier on, we are now on holiday and I'm going to try and keep off the internet as much as I can. We both just need a bit of space. And so if my response is to social media or to emails is a little bit longer please please don't take it as disinterest it's just that i've not been online on the long hot dry days it's a joy to hear the turbulent rush of water sluicing into the green dark chambers of a lock. The heavy timbers creak and groan. The roar of waters moving, playing with the Erica as if she was a wind-blown willow leaf on the pond back home of my unreachable youth. The rattle of winding gear. The paddle ratchets, black with grease, ticking slow at first, laboured, hesitant and then getting faster and faster. And for a short while, the entire world is filled with the noise of many waters. The noise of many waters. How redolently powerful is that image. And his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. I bet it did. How could it not? In the ancient Hebrew, the word kol can mean noise or voice. And is it any surprise that a people who knew the value of water, whose survival depended on the annual cycles of rainfall, so much that it drenches their sacred texts, so much that the classical Hebrew has six different words for rain? that they should envision their God as having a voice like the voice of many waters. How wonderful, 
to have a God who spoke with sea song, from the ferocious song of the storm-ridden breakers pounding on the shore to its tranquil lullaby, soothing and maternal, of river song, the laughter of a mountain brook, the intimate dreamy whisper of a river on a summer's day, the thrumming drum of autumn rains on a summer-parched earth, the gentle rustle of the soft spring showers to moisten the land for sowing, the famous Malkosh, the latter rains, that become such a powerful and enduring prophetic motif. How could the earth not shine in the glory of a God who speaks to it with the voice of rivers and rain? And on these hot, dry days, it's a joy to see the waters churn and seethe, white with foam, dark with sucking peril, the watery light dancing and sliding with the chaotic currents of deep-stirred waters, the shifting rafts of bubbles, the eddies, the tiny vortices as we slowly, slowly rise by its movement alone, from the darkness into the light. And on these days, it's a joy to feel, if you're lucky, the light spray on the face, and the coolness that comes from the lock's dank womb. But for all of that, do you know what I think? On days like these, the greatest joy is the scent. The scent of sun-warmed wood and tar and grease and ironwork toasted by the sun, and the scent of the shallow bywash crystal clear and streaming trails of fine weed and meadowsweet, and the scent of hot brickwork and clover and algae, but most of all, the scent of still waters stirred. Deep green smells, cool, earthy and trouty, moss-racked smells, dark and brooding with rock slime and the watery scent of lungwort, thin-thrashed, ferny, heron-fished, festering with the dampness of living. It's like inhaling deeply from within a terrarium. And on hot days, days when the worry of the lack of water is never far away, it's the most precious and delicious smell of all. Smells like sounds are so powerfully evocative and able to produce in us such powerful responses, like catching an old melody from out of our past. The unexpected waft of a scent can send us plunging into the reeling vortex of memories that have lain dormant for years. The tang of a garden bonfire in autumn. Passing a stranger in the street who's wearing lily-of-the-valley-scented eau de cologne. Or brute. Lavender floor polish. The smell of toast in the morning. The fresh scent of bracken on a dusty, sandy heathland bright with butterflies. 
the thick soupiness of wax crayons. Resin-rich aromas of Corsican pines after a hot summer's day. Hot water bottles. Unscrewing a royal blue bottle of quink ink. The smell of paraffin lamps and tent canvas. Freshly mown grass. Seaweed. Second-hand bookshops. Rain on hot city pavements. One rainy day a few years ago, I went down to that damp green place of churned earth and nettle beside the cow pasture and the rectory, the bleached wood of the little kissing gate glistening and greasy to the touch. I had not seen for a long time such a profusion of watery green in that shoulder-high, wild, profligate tangle of undergrowth, as prodigally abandoned and as sensual as a playfully lifted skirt. And the rain fell, as it had for so long, and still its joy was undiminished and to stand there in the midst of this writhing, dank fecundity was a joy too. To feel the rain on my hands and wrists, leeching up around my cuffs as I brushed the delicate parasols of the cow parsley, covering my fingers with those little black specks and the tiny insects and pollen and to draw dripping fingers across the scimitar blades of weeping grass, and to slide them up the firm plantain stems and over their glistening heads, and to feel the thrill of the first hot kiss of nettle as I swept my hands through the green depths of their feathery enchantment and traced with my finger the snaking lacework of silvery trails of slug and diffident snail. And perhaps it was the proximity of the rectory, or perhaps it was the sweet scent of cow's breath and soil on the air. Perhaps... It was just because I was alive and human, but I found myself thinking, if there is a God, what would his scent be like? I have lived long enough to know that for some, it's the cloud of incense and candle wax that anoints the altar, and for others, it's a brimstone and the refiner's fire. I thought I smelled it once, in a small Welsh chapel washed with winter sunlight, with wooden floors and the scent of old hymnals and dust. But standing there, in that riotous wilderness of life, I realised all those were too dry. The scent of God must be vibrant and living and wet. Like the scent of sex, like the scent of birth, like, like, like the scent of rain, cascading from nettle to dock leaf, and of fungus growing on decaying wood, the scent of a sleeping dog, a fox's fur rain wet and filled with the ache of hunger, the scent of a heronry at dawn. Oh, whatever it is, 
It must be the scent of unalloyed joy of being alive under skies laced with birdsong and wet with rain. And if this God be worthy of being called a God, it must be the scent of a laughter that has known the sting of tears and despair. And I set out once more to follow that rill of laughter across these friendly hills. And this is the Naravaderika, signing off for the night and wishing you a very restful, peaceful and cool night. Good night. Temperature outside, 15.2 degrees. Inside, 23 degrees. Humidity, 40 percent. Dew point, 6 degrees. Wind direction, north-northwest. Wind strength, 3 miles per hour. Barometric pressure, 1027.1 falling. Cloud cover, 5 percent. Cloud ceiling, none. Precipitation, nil. Moon phase, 66.1 percent waxing gibbous. Day length, 15 hours 13 minutes. Sunset, 2049 Sky Casting 537